Let's have a prayer, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Father, we pray once more by your Spirit, your Word will be a life-giving Word mm. to each one of us today. Yes. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. 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 1973, I was in South Africa. I was working for the Scripture Union amongst high schools, running camps, house parties, conferences, all that stuff. And I made good uh, friends with a great couple called Michael and Carol Cassidy. Oh. And I was staying with them in Hilton, KwaZulu-Natal, Sunday afternoon, very relaxed. Michael and I played a game of tennis on a friend's court. We were sitting back, a cup of tea, relaxing. And about six o'clock, the doorbell rang. Michael's in shorts, goes there. Ah, oh, John, hello. Welcome, welcome, oh yeah, come in, welcome, welcome, come in, come in. He'd forgotten that he invited half the KwaZulu cabinet for supper and a film. <laughs> the men all in their dinner jackets, these lovely black ladies in their finery, in their head, everything, come in, come in. I scuttled off to change quickly. He scuttled off to the kitchen, Carol, Carol, I've forgotten. Got something in the freezer? Oh, yeah, okay, 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 okay. Miraculously, about 7 or 7.30, we sat down for this meal and we had this film. Watch, you never know what hour they're going to come. Might have happened to you once or twice, I don't know. Why does the church's year begin with Advent? Why not Christmas, the birth of Jesus? Why Advent? That's the beginning of the church's year because it's all about God's eternal perspective, mm -hmm. what God is doing from outside of time and space into our world, mm -hmm. into the universe. And the Bible begins with the creation in the beginning, we would say scientifically, 13.7 billion years ago, the Big Bang, whatever, but, and the Bible ends. So in the Bible, time is a straight line. A beginning and an end. Not so in pantheism, Hinduism, Buddhism. They believe time's a circle. We're trapped in a circle. God isn't a personal God. And the aim is to get out of that circle so that eventually you drift into nirvana, neither a coming nor a going. So you build up karma. You don't want to come back reincarnation. You want to get out of it. But the Bible says, no, no, no. There's a personal creating, creator God, beginning and an end. So Advent is saying, look at the eternal perspective. Yes, we've got Christmas, the coming, but that's part of it. Now, sadly today, if you ask the average person, what's this period before Christmas mean? If they think of anything, they think maybe of Advent calendars and chocolates and so on. Our oldest daughter in London, her kids are at a primary school, and only last week, a teacher asked the class now, what's, what's this period called, this moment now before Christmas? A very bright boy put his hand up and he said, Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite. So, Advent, God's perspective. So we go to our reading from Matthew 24. Thank you. The background to this whole chapter is a conversation that Jesus has had with the disciples 
outside the temple. Here's this enormous building. Herod had added to it, Solomon's temple. It stood for the presence of God for all eternity, if you like. You can see it miles off. Jesus says the day is coming when this is going to be absolutely destroyed. And the disciples who have twigged that Jesus uses this title for himself, Son of Man, they realize that Jesus is talking about a figure in Daniel chapter 7, where the prophet speaks of a day. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. His kingdom, one that will never be destroyed. So they think, now, okay, Lord, you're talking about something more than just this. If God is gone, as it were, from the temple, but, wait a minute, you're the son of man. When is this going to happen? When are you going to really bring in your kingdom as son of man? So Matthew chapter 24, Jesus begins the story. And he tells us some very, very important truths about Advent and the purposes of God. First, as we've seen, history is his story. You probably know in the Greek language, two words for time, chronos, the ticking of the clock. Kairos, the moment. Kairos, the moment when God comes into his world, his broken, tragic, suffering world, and he comes. Kairos. So St. Paul can say, in the fullness of time, Kairos, God sent his son. The prophets long ago, seeing all the suffering, the disobedience of Israel, they spoke of the day of the Lord. When are you going to come to Kairos, into the Kronos? Because our world needs you desperately. <coughs> and they looked forward to the day of the Lord coming. So history is his story. You and I live in between the beginning and the end. We live between the first coming of Christ and the final coming. Every single one of us in this church will have had kairoses, or the Greek is kairoi, plural. <coughs> Moments when you know God has come to you in a special way. When you came to faith, maybe through suffering, all sorts of ways. C.S. Lewis said God speaks to us in our pleasures, whispers to us in our conscience, shouts to us in our pain. Suffering is God's loudspeaker to rouse a deaf world. The Kairos history is his story. But it's a broken and tragic world. And so it's a cosmic battle between the powers of light and the powers of darkness. C.S. Lewis said this once, there is no neutral ground. Mm -hmm. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Mm -hmm. God loves this world and he wants to come into it and bring blessing 
but there's a cosmic struggle on. So the second thing that Jesus in this chapter foretells is the tragic fall of Jerusalem. <clears throat> Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I'd long to gather you as, as a hen gathers her checks. You would not. Suffering's going to come on you. And sure enough, 66 AD, the Jews rose up in revolt. Jesus said, don't. They rose up in revolt against the Romans. Untold suffering happened. The Romans came to the city, Jerusalem. They besieged it for a couple of years. The Jews refused to surrender. Cannibalism took place. People ate their children. This sort of thing happened. It was ghastly, but they refused to surrender. And then the Roman Emperor Titus, Roman General Titus, stormed the city, destroyed the walls, and the temple was broken down, never ever to be built again. Merely now the Wailing Wall. Tragic. Why? Because human beings would not surrender to God. Mm -hmm. And look at our world today. Mm -hmm. Tragic, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Sin, suffering, evil the whole time because people will not surrender to God. So that's the second thing Jesus predicts. He also predicts, therefore, the suffering of his followers. You will be betrayed. You will suffer. It's true. Over 30 countries today, Christians are suffering for their faith. My brother is a great supporter of Open Doors. You probably know that charity. We, we support them. He's here, just, uh, yeah. he's just some, uh, my brother just swam 30 miles. He's a, he's a fine swimmer. Not all at once, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but he's raised a lot of money for tortured victims, Christians who are suffering today. And Jesus says, that's going to be your lot. This is a broken, tragic, <coughs> evil world. And you can stand for me, and you're going to suffer. That's not happening to us, particularly in this country, but Jesus predicts that because it is a suffering world. That's part of it. But God is there with you. You'll be given the words to say, the Kairos will come even to you there. And the third thing, therefore, Jesus says, is that, yes, there is going to be a finish time, a winding up of history. And so, as we've seen in our reading, that's going to happen, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the Son, only the Father. Mm -hmm. There have been many people who've tried to predict the end of the world. Don't fall into that trap. Don't take the book of Daniel with its weeks. Don't take the book of Revelation with this, that, and the other. Forget it. This is God's business. This is symbolism about God coming when he's going to come. Do you remember that uh, hilarious show Beyond the Fringe many years ago? They have a sketch on this end of the world. These two friends. Right, mate, I think it's going to happen tomorrow, 12 noon. You're going to see at the top of the hill there? Okay, bring your sandwiches. Okay, so they get up there. <laughs> it's 5 to 12. All right, five minutes. It's going to happen. End of the world. 12 noon. Oh well, see you tomorrow then. <laughs> no timetable. This is God's business. We do not know. Next, but it will happen. And when it happens, Jesus will be triumphant. Mm, yes. He will reign. Yes. He will be king. 
He'll be Lord. He'll be seen, you know, every knee shall bow. And his triumph will be everything. Handel knew about that, the Hallelujah Chorus. He shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus will be recognized. Every knee will bow triumph. Yeah. Next, restoration. Restoration. Healing. Thank you for reading 22 of uh, Revelation. Healing. That's going to happen. To live is to suffer. You and I see it again and again and again. And Paul in Romans chapter 8 talks about the whole creation groaning like a woman giving birth, longing for that day. What day? When Jesus comes, when the end comes, when we will be revealed. I shared before with you how uh, I was in a prison camp as a, as a baby from eight months till I was four. Uh, recently, at the 80th anniversary of our capture. And uh, a few years ago, my son, I've shared this with you before, he was working in Japan, he'd gone out to teach and he earned some money and he flew me out uh, just before COVID to go back to the prison. And it's in Fukushima, it's a convent which was taken over uh, by the Japanese. The Germans had us over, we were captured in the Indian Ocean and there were two nuns there who were left behind and they prayed for us. And I still have in my collection of papers a little card, David, from one of the nuns praying for you. Here I am today, praise God for that. But anyway, we went back and this lovely nun in her 80s, Japanese nun, welcomed us, Sister Imaizimi, Catholic Christian, been a Christian all her life, shared how the bombing of Tokyo in the war was absolutely terrible. Tokyo was obliterated by the Americans. So she suffered, and I suffered. We shared our suffering together and as forgiven Christians. And uh, she took me in, and uh, there was a room of memorabilia. And I've been through every single diary and every single account of that camp, and I'm going to be rewriting it soon in this next few months or so. But that was a powerful experience. And I sat in the garden, which I can remember, the Japanese guards used to send their dogs to frighten us children. And uh, I went back with my son, back, we took the bullet train back to Tokyo. I was in a hotel, and the next morning I woke up early, and I got up Psalm 139, going through the fact that God has been with us. And I wept and wept for 40 minutes. And then I thought, I want to go to church. And I looked up online, and I found this uh, Anglican church, Fiscal Church in Tokyo, and I had a map and I got myself there. And a lovely American priest welcomed everybody. It was the anniversary actually of the tsunami, where they'd raised money for the tsunami on the coast there. And he'd been himself. And his reading was Romans 8. The whole creation groaned, longing for that day. And you know, we took communion as a foretaste of that heavenly banquet. It was so special because that's going to happen. There's going to be restoration that day. You and I see so much suffering. Cancer, Ukraine, accidents, this, that, the other. Devastation. I've seen a lot. 
there's going to be healing. There will be restoration. There will be healing. And Revelation 21, God comes down, you know, welcomes the new Jerusalem. He comforts no more crying, no more saint, no more suffering, no more pain. And we will uh, remarkably somehow meet our loved ones. There's going to be community somehow. And we will meet those who are broken. And there will be a wonderful healing and restoration. Mm -hmm. But the next thing Jesus talks about, of course, is judgment in our reading. Two men work in the field, one taken, the other left. Two women grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. It will also be a time of judgment. Now, judging is God's business. Thank God. We are not to judge. But there will be judgment. And there will be a separation. No question about it. Because either you love light or you hate it. Either you love goodness or you don't like it, one or the other. John chapter 3, this is the judgment. People love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And those who do evil hate the light. They won't come to it. I was brought up after the war in the Far East. My father was banking there. And I remember uh, you go into a kitchen, perhaps at night, and you turn the light on and there'd be cockroaches. And they'd scuttle <laughs> under the fridge because they hate the light. Creatures of darkness. You either love it or you hate it. And there's going to be a division and it'll be our choice. Our choice. Do you know the last battle, that great of the last of the Narnia stories? Wonderful. Wonderful. Aslan, Jesus. It's the end of the world. He summons all creation. Animals, people, to him. They come. And some, when they see him, wow, you're the one. If I'd known about you, maybe another faith, another religion, the past, nothing. If I'd known, oh, worship, joy, you're the one. But others, shame, hatred, no, don't want it, don't want it. Have it your own way. That's the judgment. Have it your own way. But there will be a judgment. Because God is not the kind old man in the sky. He is the judge of all the earth. There will be a judgment. No question about it. Therefore, now, now decide. Advent is now. The early Methodist preachers were called now preachers. Because they would stand up and say, now. Don't put it off. Now. And don't think, oh, it's one day, because one day won't come. Where's your heart? So decide now. And that's the key thing about Advent. Thomas Ken wrote to him with a line, live this day as if thy last. As if thy last. Now, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. Now I want to walk in the light. Now I want to obey you. Now I want to love others. Now. Decide now. C.S. Lewis again in Mere Christianity. He talks about people who say they want God to come and intervene. Come on, what are you doing? C.S. Lewis says, <laughs> if you're really in business, you get on his side now. But you know what? God will intervene one day. But then it will be too late. 
it'll be too late. You'll already decide in your heart. And when, as C.S. Lewis puts it about the end of the world, when something comes crashing in, so beautiful and wonderful to some of us, that we worship and adore, so to others, utterly terrifying. Something else, something else, the new heaven and the new earth. So the Bible speaks, therefore, my last point, is that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. What does that mean? It means a totally new fulfillment of everything. The kingdom of God in its fullness. A new heaven, the spiritual world, a new earth. In other words, creation redeemed. One of the books that's helped me most in all my thinking about judgment is The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Now, I may have mentioned this book before, but it helped me massively. It's not about divorce. It's about the separation between hell and heaven. And uh, hell is pictured as a, as a uh, black and white, dreary place where it's raining and miserable. Everybody's there, wants to be there. That has been their choice. And C.S. Lewis calls them ghosts. They're not full people. But there they are as a choice. And they argue. They don't get on. And every time you might say, I can't stand the Joneses next door, you get your wish and you're separated. It's about separation. And they have their clubs and this, that, and the other. But <laughs> that's the. But one day a bus comes. And word gets round, you can get on the bus and go to the other place to visit it, heaven. <coughs> and various of the ghosts get on the bus. Oh, do you think, what's it going to be like? Well, let's try it. They're all a bit frightened. They all gather in. And the bus takes off. It lands on this beautiful hillside, the new earth. Green, waterfalls, sunset, flowers. The ghosts huddle around. Then they get out, and the grass hurts their feet. But anyway, they get out. And down the slope come people who knew them on earth, who were in heaven, who try and persuade them to come, to stay. And the book is a series of conversations about people who come from hell. And C.S. Lewis loves to, to shock. One of the people who's come up from hell is a bishop. <laughs> but he's very pleased with himself and his learning. His problem is intellectual pride. He meets one of his students. What are you doing here? Well, you know, Bishop, I realized I was a sinner. I needed Jesus. <coughs> oh, all that stuff. Yes, of course, that stuff. He refuses to surrender, gets back in the bus. Another shock, a foreman for a fa from a factory comes up who's been murdered, but he's in hell. And he meets the guy who murdered him, who's in heaven. <laughs> you murdered me? That wasn't the worst thing I ever did. <laughs> anyway, the foreman is, yeah, well, I mean, you know, life's tough. I know mean, I did my best, I did. I really tried. And you know, I mean, that's what it's about, isn't it? I mean, you know, I'm not like other people. Oh, no, I'm not as bad as them. Oh, no, 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 no. He's just full of self-righteousness. His friend says, please, just, you know, you need Jesus. Oh, he gets back in. And they all get back in apart from one person. And this is a man whose problem has been lust. He's been addicted to it. He feels utterly miserable. I'm not worthy. 
I'm not worthy. And Jesus sends an angel, and the angel says, doesn't matter. And lust is coming out of his shoulder like a bird. The angel says, do you want me to get rid of it? Yep. <sighs> He's set free. It's a great book because it points out that it is a choice. So there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we are on that journey, you and I. So Advent is about this God who's there, history is his story. He's forever coming, he's coming in Jesus, comes into our lives every day in different ways. And Advent says today, be a believer today. I love the collect, almighty God, enable us to cast away the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, now in the time this will from earth. So Lord, may I have, may you have a really good advent. Every day, welcome Jesus, make him your Lord, prepare for Christmas, and it's more, more uh, much more blessed than um, Black Friday. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's be quiet for a moment. Now in the time of this mortal life. Jesus, here we are, your children, on this journey, <coughs> within time, but one day, passing through time to eternity. Thank you, Lord, you come. You always come. Come, Lord, into our lives every day. Come at Christmas, come into our friends, come into our neighbours, come into this world. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Amen.